0: Welcome to another Sunday morning Salvation by Grace message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly in Smyrna, Tennessee. We are currently engaged in a verse-by-verse exposition through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, so grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA, along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty.
1: Sometimes in the life of a church, you have Sunday morning services that feel like, well, another Sunday. And then occasionally, you have those kind of mornings where it's just obvious that the king was present and that the Spirit of God was uniting the body of saints around his word and around prayer. And this morning was one of those kinds of mornings, It was a really good morning at GCA, and toward the end of the service, suddenly the electricity at the front of the room shut off. Lights went off, but not all over the building, and as a result, because the electricity disappeared at the front of the room, then the PA went off, and that meant that the recording went off. So there's no recording of this morning, and as I was preaching, I was getting all sorts of positive kind of feedback and energy from the people in the room, and that's always a great boost when you're preaching. And so I really enjoyed preaching this morning at GCA, and I'm just sorry that there's no recording of it. In fact, I think you can probably hear that my voice is pretty much fried at this point, But we were talking about Romans 13, and the first seven verses of Romans 13 make up a really important part of Paul's overall theology. And so if next week we just suddenly picked up in Romans 13, verse 8 then naturally people would say, wait a minute, what happened to all that stuff in the first seven verses of the chapter? Because that's really important and oftentimes really controversial stuff. And so we can't just skip over it. And because I love all of you out there on the Internet, and because I'm a nice guy, and because I appreciate that you keep us going, and after all, today is Pastor Appreciation Day— To show my appreciation of all you, I decided to come home, fire up the computer, and teach the same message again. It won't be preached the same way, with the same level of passion and interpersonal communication that we had this morning, simply because it's just me sitting in my office with a microphone in front of me, but at least you'll be able to get the essential teaching that is part of chapter 13 of the book of Romans. Now that 13, I hope you remember, is not part of the inspired text of the Bible. We get the impression sometimes in our head that when we see the big 13 there, when we see a chapter break or a chapter division, we have a tendency to think, oh, well, now this is a new subject. Paul is now turning his attention to something else besides what he has said in chapter 12. But that is obviously not the case. Originally, these were just letters. They were meant to be read top to bottom, and there was no sense. There was no indication that at the moment that we call chapter 13, that suddenly Paul had changed his subject matter, that now he was talking about something else. I say all that to say you can't really understand, you can't really grasp Chapter 13, without understanding everything that Paul has been spelling out in chapter 12. He's been talking about the unity of the church and how the church ought to react to each other and to the world at large. Chapter 13 then says that every person ought to be subject to the government authorities And that statement all by itself, taken out of its context, is a tough thing for us Christians to wrestle with because the governmental authorities of the world are oftentimes anti-Christian, anti-biblical, difficult for us to be subject to. And so we have to kind of understand why Paul is saying this, what Paul is thinking, and never forget the overarching theology of Paul that would lead him to say that every person should be in subjection to the governmental authorities. To begin with, we have to remember that Paul believed in the absolute sovereignty of God. And if God is truly, genuinely sovereign over all things, then he is sovereign over the governmental authorities that exist here on planet Earth. Over the course of history, We have seen kings and kingdoms. We've seen all sorts of different governmental structures and authorities rise and fall. And it's all up to God. He determines who's going to be king, who's going to be a leader, who's going to be a conqueror. He determines what governmental authority is going to be in charge at any given moment. And at the time that he's writing this to the Christians at Rome... Well, Rome is in power, and Rome was not a God-fearing government structure. In fact, the Roman emperors, the Roman Caesars, were oftentimes adverse to Judaism and to Christianity. And those Caesars had absolute power, absolute authority. They had the ability to pronounce life and death, and they had the ability to say, what was a governmentally recognized religion and what was allowable in their domain and what was not. So Paul writing to Christians living under that kind of dominion is important to remember because here in America, modern America at this time, we think, well, we as Christians are not being led in a biblical way, in a Christian way, by our governmental authorities. And so maybe then what's being said in chapter 13 doesn't apply to us. But remember that Paul was writing to people who were under actually a much stricter and much more difficult government authority than we were under. So how are we going to understand the words that Paul is going to tell us? Number one... We have to remember that in all times, under all circumstances, no matter what, we are still called to be Christians. Paul is defining that for us, what it means to be a Christian, what that looks like. We're never to avoid that behavior. And number two, he's convinced that God is absolutely sovereign. And he's going to talk about the fact that government structures actually work for God, that they're actually ministering what God intends them to do. So it's with all of that in mind that we can begin to understand what Paul is talking about when he says that we should be in subjection to government authorities. Okay, so let's start at the start. Back in the book of Daniel. In Daniel 2, we are told, It is he, it is God, who changes the times and the seasons, the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. The reason I point out that verse is that it says that it is God who raises up kings and kingdoms and it's God who tears down kings and kingdoms. When Daniel was first taken out of Judea and taken into Babylon, he then became part of the government. But then that government, that Babylonian authority, was overthrown by the Medo-Persians. And then Daniel wound up being a leader in the Medo-Persian government. After the Medo-Persians came, Alexander the Great and the Grecians, and then the Grecians were conquered after Alexander died and his kingdom was divided up to his four generals. Then in comes the power of Rome, and it's while Rome is in authority in the Middle East that Jesus was walking and talking on the planet, as Paul is writing this, Rome is still the governmental authority that is imposed on Israel, on Jerusalem, on the Middle East. And so Paul is writing these words, recognizing that it is God who raises up kings. It is God who takes down kingdoms and governments. And yet he sees in that sovereign work of God, he sees the hand of God working for the benefit of his people, of the Christian church. Look at how often in the Old Testament we see God utilizing People who aren't really serving him, people who don't know him, and yet he will use those kingdoms, those governments, in order to punish his chosen people. God uses government structures on the planet for his purposes, and he sovereignly is in control of those purposes. And that's the reason, the underpinning reason, why Paul can say that we who belong to God need to be in subjection to those government authorities. Paul's approach to the Christian life is spelled out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to start reading from verse 9. It says, Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia." But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we have commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders, unbelievers, and that you not be in any need. So Paul's thinking was that the Christian life was to be one of quietness, attending to your own business, working with your own hands so that you have something to help others with, something to give to others, and that you behave properly, not only within the church, but you behave properly toward outsiders. That then is the underpinning of how Paul sees the Christian life not rioting in the streets, not rioting against governmental authorities, but living a life, a quiet life, living an appropriate life, being good citizens, so that even as we live under these various, oftentimes anti-God, anti-biblical government authorities, that we are able to live a quiet life and not be in any fear of them. The principles of Christianity Don't disappear just because the world is a certain way. And so that's why in Romans chapter 12, Paul can say things like this about Christianity. Starting in verse 9 of verse 12, he says, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to each other in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted in prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. When we're talking about government, Hold on to that phrase, because as I just said, some of the governments of this world, some of the government ruling structures of this world are not godly, are not pro-Christianity. They might even persecute, as the Romans did. They persecuted the Jews, they persecuted the Christians, and that persecution might make someone think, well, then it's necessary to overthrow the government. It's necessary to throw off the government structure. We should rebel. We should riot. And that's not Paul's approach at all. Those who persecute you, who reproach you, you ought to bless and curse not. Hold on to that. We'll get back to it. Verse 15, picking up there, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation, and never pay back evil for evil to anyone. That includes government authorities, government structures. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. So there is a rightness, there is a right way to walk, there is a right approach, and Paul says, regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in, even if you're dealing with people who may persecute you, who may reproach you, nevertheless, you do what is right, you do what is good, you bless them, you speak well of them, and you respect what is right, what is correct, in the sight of all men. That behavior doesn't change just because a governmental structure, a worldly structure, is not a God-fearing structure. Verse 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So respect what is right in the sight of all men, and as much as possible, live at peace with all men. Whatever society, whatever civil structure you find yourself within, you're supposed to live at peace with them because you're different, because you're not of this world, because you're not looking for the things of this world. Jesus, when he was on the planet, did not overthrow the Roman government. He certainly could have. He certainly had the ability. His goal, his intention, was the inward change of men's hearts, not the outward change of society or governments or authorities. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men and never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Again, another reason why we're able to live differently than the world is because we know that the wrath and the vengeance of God does exist, and he is going to sort it out. It's not for us to sort out. These government structures that exist are bigger in many ways than we are individually. So we as individuals are supposed to live as peacefully, as quietly, as productively within these government structures as we possibly can. And so Paul in verse 20 says, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink for. In so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Don't become overcome with evil. But overcome evil. With good, and that's the beginning of chapter 13, he's still thinking along the same lines. He did not at this moment write a big 13 and say, okay, now I'm changing subjects. He is continuing Having laid out all those premises and all those instructions of how we're supposed to be, he then moves into what we refer to as chapter 13. And right on the back of saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, he then says, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. We're in subjection to the governing authorities not because we think the governing authorities are necessarily good, but we're going to overcome the evil with good. We're going to be good despite their evil. And let me be quick to say, not all governing authorities in the history of the world were necessarily evil. We're going to see Paul say that because they are instituted by God, They actually serve a purpose in God's economy. It's a way of keeping people from running wild and roughshod. Government authorities actually exist because God, in his wisdom, in his sovereignty, determined that government structures were going to exist because they act as a sword, as a judgment to keep evil at bay. That is their purpose for even existing. So then God ordained them. God structured them because they serve God's purpose. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. So if you're supposed to be in subjection to governing authorities, recognize that those governing authorities exist because God established them. Those which exist, Paul writes, exist and are established by God. And yes, of course, if God is absolutely sovereign, if he's in control of his universe, if he's in control of what goes on here on planet Earth, and then governments exist, which they pretty much always have. The history of the world is replete with governing authorities, coordinating Government authorities that are rewarding the good and suppressing the evil. Governing authorities that have structured laws and directives so that societies can exist in a civil way and so that people can live together under a common set of rules and understandings. These government authorities exist because no authority exists except from God, and those that exist are established by God. Therefore, Paul is going to say, if you do resist the governing authorities, well, that is tantamount to resisting what God himself has established. Verse 2 says, therefore, he who resists authority, he's talking about the governing authorities that God has put in place, well, that person has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So judgment from God is going to come upon those people who resist the authorities that God Himself has put in place. And one of those authorities is governing authorities. Paul is now going to explain why the governing authorities exist and what our Christian response and attitude toward them ought to be. Starting in verse 3, he says, For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authorities? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, from those governing authorities. So, here's the way Paul looks at it. He has just told you how to live as a Christian, to do what is good, to do what is right, to overcome evil with good, to behave differently than the world, to live quiet lives, not rioting, to work with your own hands so that you have something to give to people who have a need. And the overriding premise of all of it is that love needs to prevail within the church love of brethren, and then kindness toward people generally, that we treat all men with fairness and rightness, and that when people do persecute us, We bless rather than curse back to them, knowing that God in his wrath is going to do what is right and just in those people's case. But in our case, we are called to just do what is right, to do what is proper. Now, if you're doing what is right and proper, and you're living your quiet life, and you're walking according to the rules that Paul has laid out, then you don't have to have any fear of a governing authority. Because governing authorities are going to approve of people who are, in fact, just living their quiet lives, doing their work, being good citizens. Or look, I'll put it this way. I actually appreciate governing authorities. If suddenly a couple of men break into my house in the middle of the night, I'm calling the cops. I'm calling the police. I'm looking for the governing authorities to come and help me out. And how are they going to help me out? Well, they're going to suppress the evil. And that is what the governing authorities were designed to do. That's why God put them in place, is to suppress the evil that goes on here in the world. That's what verse 4 says. For these governing authorities are a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, then be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Okay, that's the purpose, that's the reason that the governing authorities exist. They operate as the sword of God in order to judge evil, in order to suppress evil, in order to make a society safer. That is the purpose, ultimately, for the laws that a society writes, that they create. It is ultimately to minister, which means to serve. Ultimately, they serve God, They're serving his purpose, even though they don't necessarily do it because they're trying to be Christian ministers who are doing good things for the church of Jesus Christ. They nevertheless exist and operate under the headship, under the control, under the dominion of a completely sovereign God who determined that they would exist so that they could suppress the evil, so that they could bear the sword in order to judge the evil that happens in this world. That's why governments exist, and that's why Paul could say that we, Christians, living right and proper lives, should not resist the governing authorities. Listen to it again. It is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, then be afraid. That's right. If you're out Carousing, if you're out rioting, if you're out getting involved in drunkenness, if you're out uh, engaging in all kinds of evil in this world, then you can expect that the governing authorities are going to catch up with you and put you in a cage where they're going to lock you away with the rest of the murderers and rapists and killers of the world. And you don't want to be locked in one of those boxes. So if you do good, and because you do good, and because you operate as a citizen of the society, you shouldn't have any fear. You don't fear the police. When I see a police car drive by my house, I don't think, oh no, they're looking for me. I think, oh good, there's cops in the neighborhood. That's good. That's going to suppress the potential for robberies that might happen in the neighborhood. But they're not looking for the good people. They're helping the good people live at peace. If you do what is evil, be afraid. For it, the governing authority, does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. So are you getting some sense, some feel of why God created governmental structures on the planet. That's why governmental structures have always existed. Any group of people anywhere, even distant and native people, tribal people, still ultimately find somebody who's a leader, somebody who's the chief of their group of people, because it's necessary always to have someone who can act as a judge, someone who can determine what is correct and incorrect, someone who can benefit those who are good and can bear the sword against those who are evil in their midst. People just do it almost automatically. It's built into human structure, and God's the one who built that into human structure. Ultimately, good government is a minister of God. Verse 5 says, Wherefore it is necessary to be in subjection. To those government authorities, not only because of wrath, in other words, not only because you fear the wrath of the sword that the government wields, you shouldn't be good just because you know they can put you in a metal box somewhere, but you should also do it for conscience sake to have a clear conscience before God, to know that the way you are walking out your life is in accordance with what God has determined for you. Paul has been laying out time and time again what it is to be a Christian. And what it is to be Christian in a society does not include the overthrow of the government. It does not include rioting in the streets. What it includes is living a quiet life, Working with your own hands, giving generously, loving people, and as much as it depends on you, living at peace with all men. If you do that, you don't have to have any fear of the government structure that happens to exist that is an authority over you. It's only when you're evil, it's only when you're rebellious, causing trouble, upsetting people, getting mobs all worked up, that's when the government authority is going to come knocking on your door. So live quietly and peaceably. And have no fear of the government because the government is ultimately in the hands of God. And he has structured it in such a way that peaceable living, quiet living, blessing those who persecute you type Christians are going to be able to live peaceable lives for the most part. Remember that Paul said, as much as lies within you, live at peace with all men. Sometimes that's not completely possible. We'll get to that in just a few moments. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, this living quietly, this living with a good conscience before God, because of that you pay your taxes, because those rulers are servants of God, Whether they know it or not, whether they believe it or not, whether they are actively trying to be servants of God, they are nevertheless servants of God because they are acting within the structure that he himself has created. Think about this in terms of Old Testament stories that we have heard. Nebuchadnezzar was not trying to serve God when he brought the southern tribe, Judah, Into Babylon, he was punishing God's people, and he was in that way acting as the servant of God, as a minister of God. He didn't know it. Certainly when God predicts by name, Cyrus, the Persian king, who was ultimately going to let Israel go back and rebuild Jerusalem, Cyrus, God says it in the book of Isaiah, "...though you have not known me, nevertheless I I called you out by name." So God does not have to enlighten or convert people in order to utilize them as part of his master plan in blessing and caring for and protecting his people. Christians here in the world are being protected in some ways by the existence of government structures, and the evil of this world is being suppressed by the fact that government structures do exist. Therefore, says Paul, since that is the plan, the ordinance of God, well then, if that government structure is taxing you, pay the tax. Because it's still working to your benefit, and it is still God's sovereign plan for what goes on on planet Earth. Look, none of us got to choose where we were going to be born, under what governmental structure we were going to be born. None of us got to choose our parents. None of us got to choose the society into which we were born. God determined all that, which means that God knows what governmental structure you were born into, and he knows how that structure works. If he is indeed sovereign over all things, then he is sovereign over that governmental structure and your being born into it. There were Christians in Rome who were born into Roman society and the jurisdiction of Roman Caesars who were not very good people, and yet God used that very structure to protect Christians in Rome and ultimately to spread the message of Christianity outward from Rome into the known civilized world at the time. The Roman government held sway over the vast majority of the Middle East. And yet, in many cases, like in the case of Jerusalem, once people understood that Rome was authority over them, then Rome kind of allowed them to go on and live their life. Rome even gave them their own king, an Edomian king, somebody who was loyal to the government of Rome, but he allowed that they could still have their temple and they could still have their worship and they could still continue the practices of Judaism despite being under Roman authority. So sometimes Roman governmental structures were a terror to Christians during the times of persecution and during the times of Nero, for instance, or Caligula, during the times of banishment, like John being banished to the Isle of Patmos by Domitian. Sometimes those governmental structures, as evil as they might seem, still end up working into the hands of God because Even John, being banished to the Isle of Patmos, that's where he got the revelation that we read to this very day, and that gives us great confidence that God wins in the end. That was all written during the persecution of the Roman Empire. So, persecution, government suppression of Christianity, can't stop Christianity, can't undermine what God is doing in the world because those government structures still belong to God, to the sovereign God who's in charge of those things. So if the governmental structure requires a tax to be paid, well then, pay that tax. In fact, give to everyone whatever is due to that person. Give tax to whom tax is due. Give custom, which is like a tax To whom custom is due, fear or reverence to whom fear or reverence is due, and honor to whom honor is due. There are some within governmental structures that require honor, so then you give them that honor. Anybody who's ever been to a court knows that you don't refer to the judge as, hey, buddy. You don't say, hey, judge guy, how are you? You're required in the court Because that is part of the governmental structure, you are required to refer to the judge as your honor. So we give honor to those people who are supposed to have the honor. We give proper fear, proper reverence to those who deserve the reverence. And we pay taxes to those we're supposed to pay taxes to. Now this is standard Pauline theology. The book of Romans is not the only place where he talks about this. In fact, in his letter to Titus, starting at chapter 3, I'm going to start reading at verse 1. He tells Titus, remind them, remind the believers who you're teaching and instructing, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our lives in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strifes and disputes about the law for those are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man at the first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sitting, being self-condemned. Now, why did I read those 11 verses? Because here Paul is instructing the church again that we need to be subject to rulers, to governmental authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to every good deed, and not to malign people, malign no one, And to be peaceable, to be quiet, to be gentle, to lead our lives in a God-fearing way, to not act like the world, to not be like the world, but to show consideration to all kinds of men. Because now that we are saved, we're supposed to be a different type of people, a different kind of people. We have the Spirit of God inside us. And so concerning all that, Paul could say, those who have believed God have to be careful to engage in good deeds because these things are good and profitable for men. So again, this is just standard Pauline theology, but it even reaches beyond Paul. Peter himself wrote in his first letter, starting at chapter 2, verse 13, he wrote, "...be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution." whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, the emperor, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for sin, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. How did Peter include honor the emperor right behind saying fear God? Reverence God, part of fearing and reverencing God is to honor everyone, to consider others as better than yourself, and to honor the governmental structure, which in those days was the emperor. So it's clear then, whether it's Paul, whether it's Peter, that this is the biblical teaching concerning our position within the society under a governmental structure, which sovereign God has constructed in in First Timothy, chapter two, just two verses, the first two verses of that chapter, Paul writes to Timothy and says, first of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. I've told you before that is the word pos that can mean all, as in inclusive of everyone, but it can also mean all kinds. And if you see And if you see kinds delineated in the context, then you know that pos should be understood as all types, all kinds. Paul has just said supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings should be made for all kinds of people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions. So part of his Christian teaching is that we should be praying for governments, for kings, for people who are in high-authority positions. Why should we pray for them? Why should we be concerned about them? Well, that's the next thing that Paul wrote. He said, so that we, we Christians, we believers, may lead a peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. See, the same idea just keeps coming up. We're to live a certain way. We're not to live like the world. We're supposed to be different than the world. And we're supposed to live quiet and peaceable, constructive lives within the society that we find ourselves. We recognize that government structures are under the hand of a completely sovereign God. He's the one who's going to exact his own vengeance and his own wrath. So if governments go awry, if governments are evil, he has a long, rich history of destroying evil governments. He's going to do that. Our job is to not be like the world. Our job is to walk in good conscience before God. Our job is to live quiet, peaceable lives, and that's why. We're not only obedient to government structures, but that's also why we pray for them. We pray for them and for their well-being, for their doing good, for their suppressing the evil, wielding the sword of judgment properly. We pray for all that because we are living in an evil world. We pray for all that because we are living under governmental structures and societies that are not always God-fearing. We pray for them because, well, we're told to. Okay, so... Let's say for the moment, I've kind of convinced you. Let's say for a moment you've got a grasp on that and you're saying, okay, Jim, I, I get what you're saying. I understand the sovereignty of God that created government structures and that, that they minister to God in as much as they suppress the evil and that we're supposed to, as Christians, live proper and quiet lives and be subject to them and pay the taxes to them and give them the honor that's due them. But then... In the Bible, we also see examples of times when God-fearing people disobeyed governments. Earlier, I mentioned the book of Daniel. Certainly in the book of Daniel, we see things like Nebuchadnezzar saying that when the trumpet blows, that everybody had to bow down to an image of him. And Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, said, we're not going to do that. Because we have been instructed by God that we're not to worship any other god. Therefore, we're not going to bow down to this idol, this image of a man. So what happened there? That was disobedience to an ungodly governmental command. We see the same thing many different times in the Bible. We certainly see it in the New Testament when the apostles are told, that they have to stop preaching about Jesus and they're going to be thrown in jail. The people who are going to put them in jail are the prevailing governmental authorities. Paul says obey prevailing governmental authorities. And yet sometimes we see examples of the apostles not doing that. For instance, in Acts 4, starting at verse 18... They called them and they charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John answered them and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Sometimes then, according to the Bible, it is appropriate not to be obedient governmental structures. There are things going on right now. I can only speak about things going on in America right now because that's the governmental structure that I live under, but there are things going on, laws being made under that governmental structure that I disagree with pretty totally, Um, whether it is the profanation of the definition that God gave to marriage or whether it is making it legal to murder babies. Just here in the last couple of days, there was a televised question answer period with several of the Democratic nominees for president. And it was said out loud that any churches that don't participate in homosexual marriage would lose their tax exemption. And the ability to tax, as I have often said, is the ability to control. This is an effort on the part of the government to control the church. And if the church doesn't kowtow to what the government has decided is the correct, right, moral thing to do, well, then they're going to lose their tax exemption. And I said this morning to the congregation at GCA, you can have our tax exemption." If the government takes it away from us, you know what will happen the next Sunday? What will happen is the people of GCA will show up in the same building worshiping the same God anyway, following the same ordinances and rules of God, because in the end, just like the apostles Peter and John said, in the end, you have to determine what should we really do. Is it more right that we obey God or that we obey the rules of men? So... I think in principle, we can say that when governing authorities decide things, decide laws, create ideas that are obviously and definitely opposed to what God himself has laid out and said for his people. Well, then I think it is appropriate that we not follow those rules, but follow what God has said. But. Notice what John and Peter did not do. They did not attempt to overthrow the governmental structure. They simply did not agree with it. Daniel did not attempt to overthrow Babylon or the Medo-Persians. He knew that God was on his side. He had heard from Jeremiah that the Babylonian captivity was going to be 70 years. And so he trusted God. He prayed to God, make it 70 years. At the end of the 70 years, take us back to our land. That's what you promised you're going to do. The same way now, knowing that God is in control, that God is sovereign over the things that happen in this world, we are to be obedient to the government structures as they exist but not to the exclusion of our obedience to God. God's word still says what it says. We're still going to be obedient to that government. We're still going to be obedient to what God has said, despite what that government might say or think. But we're not going to try to overthrow that government. We're not going to become riotous Because in the end, we know that God's got it. God is in control. God has still got the government structures of this world under his thumb, and he will raise up kings, and he will take down kings. Our job in good conscience is to follow after what God's word has instructed for us. And what God has told us to do is to lead a life that is different than the world, to lead a life of Quietness and peaceableness, to get along with everyone as best we can, and to pray for all kinds of men, including those people who are in governmental authority, so that we can live quiet and peaceable lives. In those places where the government, any government, anywhere in the history of the world, in the places where they have said, don't do it God's way, we see examples in the Bible of the people of God not being obedient to those rules, rather being obedient to what God has said. So we are called to follow after God. Now, once I reached that point in this morning's sermon, there were several questions that were asked, good questions, that, to be honest with you, I cannot remember in their totality. But I can tell you that in answering those questions, A couple of things came up that I want to recite here. First was the question of, is it okay then to be Christians in America and to assemble groups like anti-abortion groups? Is it okay to assemble voting blocks to try to change laws, or should we just obey whatever the government has said? And my answer was, America under its current form of governmental authority, is a democratic republic. In other words, ideally, it is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. And it is intrinsic into that form of government that there would be proper redress of government, and that the people who are being ruled over – can get together as a voting block, as a group, and change rules and change laws and advocate for those things that they believe in. That, I think, is a positive form of a democracy or a republic at work. The negative form of it would be like Antifa, breaking windows, rioting, lighting things on fire, beating people up. Oh, I think we've all seen the videos of of older people becoming terrorized by Antifa members. Okay, that would be the wrong way to go about it. There is a right way and a wrong way to advocate for the things that you believe in. So I do think that it's proper, right, correct, that Christians engage in not civil disobedience, but the civil attempt to change laws, to advocate for laws that benefit the things that we believe in. In the world right now, over in China, there are Christian people who are living under communist rule. The communist leaders in China have been limiting Bibles coming into their country, and yet Chinese Christians exist. It's one of the fastest-growing communities of Christians on the planet. Why? How? I mean, they're under an incredibly oppressive government. But they are living their quiet lives. They are living out their faith. They are gathering together. They are encouraging one another. And Christianity continues to grow and flourish in China, despite the oppressive Chinese governmental system. Christianity can grow and can flourish despite governmental systems because, as I said at the beginning of this message, Christ is not about overthrowing government structures. He will be one day. He's coming back one day to overthrow the kingdoms of this world and establish his kingdom that will never be overthrown. But at the moment, in God's sovereign plan for the history of the world, there are a variety of different governmental structures on the planet, but they're all under his hand. And in every one of them, God is still picking and choosing men of every kindred, tribe, tongue, nation, and calling them to himself. In other words, government structures, no matter how evil, cannot stop God from changing hearts. God from putting his spirit into people. And so we are called, as those people who have been redeemed, who have been changed, who do have the Holy Spirit of God, we are called to live good lives. And in most governmental structures on the planet, if you're just being a good citizen and leading a good life and doing it for sake of your conscience before God, then you're not going to have anything to really fear from that government. Now, sure, there are exceptions. I understand that. But the general rule that the Bible is laying out is be obedient, subject yourself to the governmental authorities because they exist because God put them into place. In those places where they become evil and where they say that we should obey ungodly rules, disobedient to God type rules, evil rules. In those places, we are given an example in the Bible of how it is appropriate then to follow God rather than the governmental system because God and his vengeance and his wrath will take care of them for the evil they do. Our job is to be good, to be obedient, to be quiet, to live in love and association and fellowship with each other. That now is what Paul is going to say in the last verse that we're going to look at today. Verse 7 said, Render to all what is due, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due. And so by paying those taxes, then owe nobody anything. GCA at this point has no debt. We haven't had for many, many years now. And part of the reason that I have not said, well, let's build another church structure, even though I would love to. We have the land. I would love to build another building, but I don't want to go in debt to do it. I don't want to saddle the congregation with debt because I'm hoping that after I'm not here anymore because the years are flying by at this point and I'm not always going to be able to stand in the pulpit at GCA and someday when I can't do it anymore, hopefully they will be able to survive and continue and the next guy will come in and he will continue to lead and teach the people of God at GCA. And so I don't want to saddle him, whoever he is, With debt, I don't want to saddle the congregation with the onus of owing money to other people. I don't want anybody to be able to take anything from GCA. So we have our land, we have our building, and we make do with what we have. I like the advice from Paul, the instruction, don't owe anybody anything. I agree entirely. If you owe taxes, pay your taxes. If you owe custom, pay that custom. But then Paul says, but you do owe this. You owe one thing to people. You owe it to other people to love them, to look out for them, to be generous to them. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law And I said this morning, that's where we will pick up next week. And we will look at Paul's explanation of how exactly loving your neighbor is a fulfillment, is a satisfaction of the law. So to kind of sum up what we've seen today, God is sovereign. I've been saying that. For as long as I can remember, God is sovereign, God is in charge. That means he's in control of what is taking place in his creation at any given moment. Governmental authorities and structures that exist, exist because of him, because they serve his purpose. Whether they know it or not, they are accomplishing the very thing that they were meant to accomplish, which is why God put them in place in the first place. We, as Christians, are told... To love each other, to love one another, and in fact, to do good to all men as much as is possible within us to be at peace with all men. To pray for those who are in authority so that we can continue living peaceable and quiet lives, working with our own hands, having something that we can give to others, and that, that love, is how we overcome evil We overcome evil with good. We don't succumb to the evil. That is what it means to be a Christian. That is walking out practical Christianity. That is not just having head knowledge and a bunch of theology and a bunch of doctrine that we can argue with other people on Facebook about. This is Practical Christianity 101. Walk out the things you claim to believe. And part of that walking out is to be subject to the authorities that God has put in place. But ultimately, your obedience is to God. And so if the governing authorities run contrary to what God has already instructed, then we're going to be obedient to God rather than to that governmental authority. God first, God's word first, whatever he has instructed us, that is what we are responsible for. But part of what it is to be a Christian in this world is to recognize the sovereignty of God over all things and therefore to be, to the best of our ability, at peace with men, praying for governments, and uh, paying our taxes and living at peace here in this world to the best of our ability, as much as is within us, we'll be at peace with all men. So, okay, I think that was the essence of what I said this morning. And I think I even slipped in some of the content of the answers to the questions that were asked. Afterwards, I want to say, I was exceptionally, exceptionally proud of GCA this morning. Not only because it was pastor appreciation morning, a morning that was created by Hallmark just so that they could sell more greeting cards, but this morning GCA decided to give a gift to Janine and me, so that we could perhaps take a vacation or whatever we wanted to do with the money. And it was a very generous gift, but that's not the reason that I was really proud of them this morning. As they were learning, as the Word of God was going out, as we were singing together, and the singing this morning was very good. I'm so sorry the recording disappeared because there was really good singing this morning. But at the end of the service, I requested prayer from everybody. I said, when you think of me, if you love me, then love Janine. Pray for Janine because Janine has been having some very difficult days that I won't broadcast here on the internet, but trust me when I say that it's been a really tough couple of of weeks here for her in what looks to be a chronic problem that she's going to have to deal with the rest of her life and and it's difficult, and it's painful, and I, I watch her cry. And so uh, I asked everybody if they would remember to pray for Janine. Just as I am now asking you out on the internet, when you think of it, if you ever say a prayer for me, please include her. She needs God's healing touch at this moment. And you know, as soon as I said that, Gladys stood up, And said, do you mind if we pray over Janine? And I thought she was just saying, do you mind if as we pray at the end of the service we include Janine in the prayer? She turned around and she hugged my wife. And suddenly, a move of the Spirit, a genuine move of the Spirit, I don't know how else to describe it. People stood up from their seats and they gravitated toward Janine. And they stood encircling her, and they laid hands on her, and they were holding each other, and this group, this body of believers together, suddenly broke out into spontaneous prayer, one person after the other, after the other, after the other, and it was wonderful. And I didn't do that. I didn't say, here's my plan, let's do this. Instead, Because the Spirit of God was present with us this morning, there was a genuine outbreak of the Spirit being the Spirit, being the way He is, doing the things He does, and working through His people to all gather around and pray over my wife. I am proud of GCA every day. Eighteen and a half years I've been with GCA. And I am proud of them in many, many ways. But this morning they really showed me something. I was really, really pleased to watch practical Christianity walked out in shoe leather this morning as people responding to the call of the Spirit just got up and just moved en masse toward my wife and just broke into spontaneous prayer person after person, it was amazing. Now, why did I tell you that story? Because that's what you get when you're part of a church. People ask me sometimes, is it okay if I just stay home and listen to you on the Internet? Is it necessary for me to be part of a body of believers? I know how difficult it is to find a good church. I know how tough it is to find a body of believers that you can in good conscience worship with. I know it's tough, but never stop looking because those kind of moments, the life of the body, the movement of the Spirit, the fellowship of the Spirit of God among his saints, there's no substitute for that. That's an amazing and a wonderful and an edifying thing to be part of. And it was way beyond me. It was God himself moving in his people. So I encourage you, find a church. Be part of a church. Be part of a body of believers. If if you can't find anywhere to go, then yes, Listen to the teaching here online. There's plenty of good Christian teaching here online, but don't kid yourself into believing that that's an adequate substitute for actually being part of a body of believers. That's my exhortation to you here at the end of this message. I didn't get to say any of that this morning, and that may be why in God's good providence, little tiny fingers flipped a switch, broke a circuit, turned off electricity, and the recording of this morning disappeared. When that happened, Micah came up to me and said, Boy, it's a good thing you know God is sovereign. And it is. It's a good thing I know that God is sovereign. I never get a practice shot at any message, so I don't mind coming here and teaching this all again to the saints of God via the Internet But maybe, just maybe, in God's good divine plan, he knew the rest of the story, and he wanted that conveyed, too. So, hopefully now, it is. Thank you for all of you who continue to love and support GCA. Thank you for your faithfulness to God and his word. And in everything you do, everything your hand finds to do, Walk out your Christianity in appropriate ways. And that is my prayer for you. Okay, my voice is shot now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.